0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning everybody. Happy Sunday. Everybody enjoying summer break so far? Good to have you with us. If you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor. Uh, Really happy to see all your faces this morning. If you want to, uh, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Andrew read uh, the first few (laughs) verses of our text to us this morning, and I I just want to pick up where Andrew left off, and Cody, I think I have a slide for that. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 18, we're going to read to 25. I hope you were here at the beginning of the service, because you need those other verses too. (laughs) Uh, but starting at eight, verse 18, this is what Paul says. I love this verse. This has been, this has been, like, this has been marrow to my, to my stomach this week. Uh, this has been good stuff. Uh, it says this, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Don't you love the Bible? Dude, the, the Bible doesn't flinch. I love it. And Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew even stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Dang. Such a good verse. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about holding on to promise. Uh, I want to pick up right here just uh, with this story of Abraham and Sarah. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 4. And when Abraham first received his promise from God that he'd be the father of many nations, he was about 75 years old. Think about that. He was already an old guy, you know. Uh, he already had a longer, grayer beard than mine even. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but but Abraham had to hold that promise that he'd be the father of many nations for another 25 years. Did you notice that Paul says it's like a hundred, right? And I just want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about a couple of things. Number one, I want you to think about receiving a promise from God. But the second thing I want you to think about is, I want, to think, I want you to think about holding it for 25 years. I want you to think about, specifically this morning, 25 years. I want you to think about that time period. Uh, some of you in this room are not even 25 years old. And so 25 feels like an eternity. Remember being, Remember being eight or nine, and it would be your birthday, and then it would be the day after your birthday. And it felt like your next birthday will never come, right? But somewhere along the, the line of maybe 40 years old, they, they start picking up, don't they? It's weird how time works. That Time is this elastic illusion. But even, but even if you're 40 years old this morning, or, or maybe you're older than that, maybe you're in your 60s or your 70s, or, or maybe you're in your 80s, uh, even, even if you're kind of a gray hair this morning, you know that 25 years is a long darn time. Think about the things that happen in your life over 25 years. Like Heather and I have four children and all of them fit inside that 25 year window. Think about all the things that has happened to us in 25 years. Like we're not the same people, (laughs) right? No one is 25 years. So I want you to think about two things this morning. I want you to think about receiving a promise from God. And then I want you to think about holding it for a quarter century, Here's the thing about promises. Um, it's a great thing to receive a promise from God. Uh, but here's what I want you to maybe pick up this morning. Uh, there's, there's this thing about receiving a promise from God. Um, there's a weight to receiving a promise from God. And sometimes uh, the weight is very unexpected. Like some of us understand the weight that lack can have on our heart. Uh, the weight that not having or not receiving can put on our soul. But one of the things that we never calculate when we deal with God is the weight that actually receiving a promise from him can put on our soul, especially if we have to wait a period of time for it. So there's this thing where to not have something, we can feel that in our soul, but then to have God say, I will give it to you, and then there to be this distance of time, it can, also put, it can also put a strain upon our soul. I want you to hold that in the mix as well this morning. So I want you to imagine Abraham, he's 75, he's got a gray beard, and he's got a 75-year-old wife, and God speaks to him. And he calls him the father of many nations. In fact, if you go back into Genesis, God says, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars of the sky. He goes, that's how many descendants you'll have. You'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And I've been thinking about this this week as well. Uh, Abraham had no idea when he received that promise how many stars were actually in the sky. Like he had no idea that basically God was promising him infinity. But God knew, right? But God Knew. And he says, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. And then, and then maybe Abraham looks at his 75-year-old wife and goes, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> right? Uh, the other thing I want you to know in the scripture that we read this morning is that both Abraham and Jesus in the text this morning, uh, they're, like, they're like archetypal prisms. You know how prisms can... Break white light apart, and you can see all the colors that are in it. And in the same way this morning, Abraham and Jesus in the text, they're like they're like these prisms that give us give us a clue or allow us to see all the colors that are not just in the text, but in the story of God, and, and all of the colors that actually are surrounding you and your life as well. Because if you notice this morning that when Paul was talking about Abraham, he said, this is not just for Abraham's sake, but it's also for what? It's for our sake. It, it was for our sake that God would make promises to Abraham. And he said in the end text there, he said uh, that when God raised Christ Jesus, he did so. Why? So that everybody could be made righteous. Isn't that right? And so there's something about the text this morning that isn't just about two people. It's not just about Abraham. And Sarah, and it's not just about Jesus, but it's also about you, and it's also about me. And I, I really want you to know concretely this morning that the passage we just read, uh, it's absolutely, first and foremost, about being made right with God. Uh, the Bible calls that righteousness, having a, a right relationship with God. That's, that's what this text is about. Uh, uh, and here's the thing I want you to know about that. Uh, everybody in the room everybody in the room can live, can live without any guilt or shame Uh, for the rest of your life. No one here uh, needs to live with any sort of guilt or shame because God has made a promise first through Abraham that Abraham would have many sons, but God would receive those sons and daughters as his own family. That's really the promise. And God has promised through his son, Christ Jesus, that when he was raised from the dead, that it wasn't just Jesus who was raised, but in the moment and in the morning of his waking, the cosmos was beginning to wake up. So this is the good news. No one here has to fear death. No one here has to live with guilt or shame. No one here has to live with a sense of alienation or separation from God. No one in the room has to feel like God's a million miles away or an imaginary puppet in the heaven. But God is actually close to us, closer than we know, and we can live uh, with the Father's embrace. That's really what this text is about. But the thing underneath the thing, and the thing I actually want to talk to you about this morning in addition to that, is I want to talk to you about the fact that God is the sort of God who makes people promises, who makes people promises, and not just promises to raise you from the dead at the end of the age, and not just promises to embrace you in this life and in the next life, but he also makes people's very specific promises that are individual to the person This is who God is. God is a promise maker and he is also someone who is a promise keeper. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to know that everybody in this room has a promise from God. Everybody here has a promise from God. Like at the base level, you have the promise, you have the promise that God will receive you as a son and daughter. At the base level, you have the promise that you do not have to live with a sense of alienation. Uh, At the base level, you have the promise that you can spend eternity in the Father's care and that he will raise your mortal body to life at the base level. But how many of you know that if you walk with God, he gives you other promises? He gives you other promises specific to you. God has a way of coming to his people and giving him promises, And the funny thing about the promises of God is they have a way of lodging themselves into our heart and they don't go away. So I just want to stop here for a moment. Uh, Who here in the room has received a promise or two from God? Anybody received one? Uh, Who here has received a promise from God that you have not yet seen fulfilled? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, that's one of the markers that it probably came from God. Not just fulfilled promises, but unfulfilled promises. He has this way of promising you things that are going to shape your life, and they're going to shape your life because he will let them take your whole life in order to see it populate. Does this make sense? Waiting is a part of the game. Here's the thing about the promises of God. Waiting is a part. Second thing about the promises of God is they often feel impossible. Uh, Maybe because they're so far away from us or, or maybe they feel impossible because we feel we have no ability to make them happen. God will promise you things that when you think about it, you go, this is a great promise. I have no ability to make this happen. By the way, that's also another clue that it's probably God talking to you. When God gives you a promise that you have no way of making happen, it's very good chance that it is actually God who is talking to you and that this actually is a promise he's giving to you. Think again of Abraham and Sarah and how many of you know that 75-year-old men and women do not have children. Like it, it isn't it isn't even up to their willingness, right? Like their bodies don't have it to give. This is this is so baked into this is so baked into the ways of God and it's so baked into uh, the way that we, that we operate with him, one of the things that happens is God will come near to you and he will speak to your life, he will speak to my life, and he will often tell us things that, 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 that highlight our weakness, that highlight our vulnerability, that, that actually amplify our inability. And this is one of the ways that you know that God is talking to you. You're, un, you're utterly unable to make it happen. So what do you do? Well, I just, I just want to say a few things here really, really briefly this morning. What do you do? Here's what you do. Number one, you just trust God. This is so, this is, this is what was in the text this morning. Uh, Paul, says, Paul says that because Abraham believed God, God received it as righteousness. Even, even, when, Abraham, even when Abraham knew that his body was as good as dead, You just start to trust God. Uh, There are several moments in the text this morning where the words faith and belief come up. Uh, The word around here at the vineyard we use is trust. So what do you do when God gives you a promise that's landing in the weakest part of your being, uh, in the places where you're most unable? How do you hold on to promise? Uh, You trust. And then you go, well, Adam, how do you do that? Well, here's what you do. You don't trust in your ability. Uh, I don't trust in my ability. Uh, I don't trust in my strength. Uh, you don't trust in your ability to figure it out, uh, to come up with a plan. Like trusting God has has no nothing to do with scheming a workaround, right? Uh, what do we do when we when we come to trust God? Well, we we begin to let go of our ability. We begin to let go of of my ability to grow and get better. Uh, we 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 begin to let go of. Of our own strength or of our ability to figure out, uh, not in my, our ability to find a workaround. Uh, and here's the other thing that I've seen not only in this text, but with people who see God really move in their life. Uh, y- you hold the promise lightly, but you hold on to God tightly. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. You hold, you hold the promise lightly and you hold on to God tightly. And here's, here's basically what I mean by that uh, you receive that promise and you go, God, thank you for that promise. Thank you for that promise. Uh, it's up to you. It's just, it's, it, it has to be up to you, you know? Uh, you know, God, you, you just have to be the one who is doing it. And I, I'm so glad this morning that every single song we sang was about God's goodness and his faithfulness. Like, what does it mean to trust God? Really, what it means is it means letting go of this notion that we're trusting in our own ability or our own strength and we're growing. We're growing in our vision of God. We're growing in our vision of God's faithfulness and his goodness. You hold on to the promise lightly, but you hold on to God tightly. And, and what does that mean? It means trusting God in God's ability. It means trusting in God's faithfulness, uh, his strength and his power and his goodness. Uh, how many of you have a promise from God that is not yet fulfilled? But how many of you can also say that you've seen the faithfulness of God over the course of your life? That's what you do. Like, how do, you, how do you hold on to promise? You don't just hold on to what you don't have. You hold on to what you've seen in God. You hang on, you hang on to that every single day. You get a bigger picture of God's goodness and faithfulness. Uh, and by the way, trusting God is not about trying harder. Uh, it's seeing him more. Anything you can do to get a bigger and better vision of God, that's what you do. That's how you walk with promise. Now, I want to talk to you about trust in reality. What do you do? You trust. You trust in God's goodness and faithfulness. But look at verses 18 and 19. Maybe we could put those up, Cody. This is one of the reasons I love the Bible. Because the whole thing is about Abraham's belief. It's about his trust and his faith. But then look at these verses that Paul throws in. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Check one into the faith category, right? Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. But then look at verse 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Click one into reality. I love these two verses. You want to know what biblical faith is? Biblical faith is Romans 18 and 19 together. Never separate the two. Never separate the two. Um, I, want you to, um, I want you to think about something. How many of you have ever maybe been working around uh, in your yard or in your garden and you had to carry a five-gallon bucket of water? Anybody ever done that? Everybody, anybody ever planted a new tree and you're like, I need to water that tree. I'm going to fill this five-gallon bucket of water up and I'm going to carry it across the yard to that tree. That sucker is heavy, isn't it? Like, I am always shocked by how heavy a five-gallon bucket of water is. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> it's, it's shockingly, you, you look at it, you're like, well, this doesn't seem like much water. And then you, you pick it up and you're like, and then when you walk, you do this, don't you? you slosh, slosh. Like, it's one of the, try it sometimes. It's one of the hardest things to carry. Now, can I tell you, can I tell you what's actually easier to carry than one, gallon, one five-gallon bucket of water? Two, Two five-gallon buckets of water. That's, <laughs> this, is, this is the weirdest thing. One five-gallon bucket of water is actually fairly difficult to carry, and two five-gallon buckets of water is a heck of a lot easier to carry. Trust in reality. Trust in reality. I want you to think of these things as Romans 4, 18, and 19. I mean, when you're going to hold on to promise, here's how you hold on to promise if you want to be a Christian. You hold on to a promise by picking up the five-gallon bucket of promise, and you don't let go of the five-gallon bucket of reality. You just, and, you just, and you just walk. That's how you do it. it there's, actually, there's actually something that, that tethers you and holds you up in a way that, that holding on to trust alone doesn't seem to do. Biblical trust is not anti-reality. That's what Romans chapter 4, 18 and 19 would say. Biblical trust is not anti reality. Even when there was no hope, Abraham kept believing. Uh, his body was as good as dead. Uh, Abraham trusted God without living in denial. Trust without reality, uh, this is something I've noticed over the years. Trust without reality has a way of making a person less of a person. Have you ever noticed this? By the way, this is like pretty important. Christians, because we want to be people who trust God. But if we, if we just do the trust thing, or if we just do the belief thing, if we just do the faith thing without reality, we become less of a person and you become very annoying to everybody around you. And I don't mean in like an attractive way. I mean, in a repulsive way. Uh, Have you ever been around that person who was like living so deep into faith land, they would say to you, "Oh, Oh, don't say that because you might don't confess that over your life. What do you mean? The reality? You're talking about the reality? Are we talking about the reality here? Oh, don't say that. Don't confess that. Don't, you're talking about the reality? So we can't talk about the reality because we're going to live in faith land? We're actually not even required to do that. And if you live in quote-unquote faith land without reality land, you become less of a person. You become more denial-based. And you do that over a long enough period of time, and, and you and your soul gets twisted into something that's hardly recognizable. You just become very, very strange. Just want you to know that. <laughs> very, very strange. However, however, let's let's throw it the other way. Reality without trust has a way of making a person less of a person. Less of a person. Uh, reality without trust oh man, hope evaporates and a person can't live without hope. I mean, it's the reason why people kept moving West, you know, like why? Because there's something over there. What I don't know, but I'm hoping it's good, right? Like, like if there's a metaphor for the human being, I don't know a better one than just a traveler who just keeps going West. Why? Because it might be better over there. Like there's just something in our soul. We were made for hope. So So reality without trust has a way of making a person less of a person. Everything gets reduced to material, uh, to what experts say. Everything gets reduced to what we read in the New York Times. And let me just say, that's very annoying. (laughs) Also very annoying. Like just, you know, you know, you know that person who's like, well, the studies say. You know, yes, I'm fully aware of the studies. And yet God has also said something to me, right? And these things, we have to hold these things together. So everybody in here who's bent toward faith, man, pick up reality for a minute. It'll make you more of a person. And everybody who's so deeply grounded in reality, like pick up your faith and trust in God again. It will make you a happier person and it will make you a more complete person. The New York Times is not the one who has the final say or the arbiter over your life. It might be God. It might just be God. How do you hold on to promise? You trust God. You hold the promise tightly. You hold God tightly. You hold the buckets of trust and reality. And you do everything you can to look for encounter. Uh, ultimately, Ultimately, trusting God, it comes from encountering God. Nobody in the room was made to know God at a distance. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had several encounters with God over the course of their lives. Uh, God didn't just give them the promise one time. In fact, he, he gives them the promise. He comes back and gives them a promise again, and he comes back, and he gives them the promise again. Many times over the course of those 25 years, Abraham would have an encounter with God where God would say, You know what? I'm, 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 I haven't forgotten that thing I told you. I know you think I have. I know you're worried I have, but I have not forgotten that thing. And there's something about trust that is actually directly connected to encountering God. Uh, trust is not walking with a word apart from being near to God. It's just so, it's so deeply connected to, to being near to God. An encounter, uh, it, it comes from making room. Uh, Abraham and Paul and anybody that you read about in the Bible... Uh, they lived in a world where where the the space of God and the space of people was fully overlapped, but but we now, after a lot of years and a lot of scientific method, we did our best to separate those worlds. You know, and and so even even for those of us who are like halfway decent Christians, the effect of this is more profound on your life than you even know. Like, it's, it's wild. Like many of us, even, even those of us who, who have loved God for our whole lives, the effect of this is rather profound. And, and so what I would say to anybody who's wanting to hold on to promise, uh, we have to look for any way we can make space for God, any way that we can bring those spaces together. And it's not even about something uh, that you make happen, but it is something that you're beginning to allow to happen uh, in your life. It's one of the reasons why coming to church is such an important rhythm for us in these days, because church is the place where we encounter the Spirit of God. Like, the things that we do together on a Sunday morning—they're like—they're actually much more profound than you know, uh, because it's a chance for us to encounter the Spirit of God. And and anytime we encounter the Spirit of God, uh, the the Word of God is always present in the Spirit of God. He's he he is he is that that Spirit that hovers over chaos and confusion and brings order. He is He is the word who speaks, let there be light. Like any, any place you find the spirit of God, you will find the word of God. Any place you find the word of God, you'll find the promises of God. That's mostly what he's doing. He, he speaks and he speaks with promise. And so this is one of the reasons why it's actually really important for us to be here together. And it's why it's very important while we're worshiping God through song or listening to The text this morning, it's why there's a part of our heart. We want to just keep open and listening because God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. Uh, I I, I want to tell you just maybe a couple little tiny stories um, from the past couple weeks here. I know someone, I know someone uh, last Sunday, uh, last Sunday who came to church and, you know, they just came to church. And someone else who came to church, maybe somebody who sits over here who just came to church, who just woke up and was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go to church. Why? Because that's what I do. And these are my people. So they came to church. Uh, these two people don't know each other. So there's like a person over here and there's like a person over here and they don't know each other at all. And after church, one person comes up to receive some prayer while second person walks past them. And when the second person walks past them, the Holy Spirit speaks to the second person for the first person and turns around, puts their hands on them, and says, When you were seven, XYZ, banana, 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 and now, XYZ, banana, banana, banana. Now, I don't know any of this is happening, right? Later that night, I get a text from person A, who's over here. Who was the man who talked to me today? I'm like, I don't know, explain it to me. And he's like, he explains them to me. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I'm like, what did he tell you? He's like, he, he goes, he told me my whole life. I'm like, well, that's awesome. He goes, that man doesn't know me. I don't know who that man is. I literally don't know who that, How does that man know these things about me? I'm like, well, that man doesn't, but the Spirit of God is with us and he hovers over chaos and confusion and God speaks into chaos and confusion and when God speaks, he speaks promises and he's telling you the truth of your life and he told you your past because he wanted to tell you your future, right? Right, like why do we, and trust comes from encounter and one of the places we encounter God is like we encounter God here in this space and with one another and in one another and through one another and God is always at work. Like, and I could tell you a couple more stories like that just from the past few weeks of people being touched by God simply because they got in his spirit. Encounters also leave something behind. Maybe you remember in the Old Testament, Jacob met God. Remember that? Jacob met God and Jacob grabbed hold of, he was like, well, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And so they wrestled. And uh, the blessing that Jacob got was a new name, and a different hip yeah. <laughs> and so And so everywhere that Jacob walks for the rest of his life, people are going to be like, "Hey, dude, what's the matter with your hip?" He's like, "Well, let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this story, you know um, When we encounter God, we, we get promises, but they leave behind residue, and the residue that's left behind is 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 the substance that allows us to keep trusting in him. Like, imagine being Jacob who limped for the rest of his life. Like, every single day. Like, whether he wanted to or not, he couldn't forget God. Like, his body would not let him forget God. Not only that, he had a, he had a new name. Like, and every time someone spoke to him, they no longer called him Jacob, they called him Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And you're like, I, this residue is all around me. Uh, or maybe you remember or maybe you remember Hagar. If you want to read something really fun, you should read you should read in Genesis. You should read not only the story of Abraham, but you should read the story of Hagar. Cuz Hagar meets God a couple times. And in one of the encounters that Hagar has with God, of course Hagar is uh she's Sarah's servant. She's the second plan, right? Like like Abraham and Sarah have this promise it's not working out great. So Sarah's like, "Well, we'll bring my younger servant Hagar in, like try it out, Abraham. Maybe it'll work. This is maybe this is what we're going to do." And so they end up having a, a son and eventually Hagar runs away because Sarah's not super pleased with her. And and they're in the desert this is one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. They're in the desert. Hagar, not even praying, not even praying, has an encounter with God. And do you know what God says to Hagar? God gives Hagar a promise, and it's the exact same promise that he gives to Abraham. He says, "Your descendants will be innumerable, and your son is going to be a wild donkey of a man." <laughs> I, I love that, but I just love that. That Hagar, like uh, the not plan, uh, the put away woman, ends up having an encounter with God and God comes to her and says, you know, I'm going to make you the same promises I made Abraham over here. Why? Because he's really good and he's really faithful. God is a faithful God and he's just brimming with goodness and he wants people to experience, he wants people to experience his blessing. I was thinking about Isaiah this week as well. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah said, uh, he looked up and he saw the Lord. And uh, he says to God, um, I have a problem. I'm I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among an unclean people. And God says, well, you know, I would like somebody to go and to declare these words. And eventually at the end, Isaiah says, well, Here, I send me, Lord. Would you send me? And, and from that encounter, Isaiah spends the rest of his life uh, going to God's people. And for the rest of his life, Isaiah has the words of God. He has the promises of God. And he even has the promises uh, that, that, that really center on Jesus. Uh, Isaiah has more, more promises than any other prophet about, about who Jesus is. And where does that come from? It comes from encounter. So So, how do you hold on to promise? Like the main way you hold on to promise is you just keep opening yourself up to having some sort of an encounter with God, like whatever, whatever it takes for you to not become a calloused person toward God or, or, or a forgetful person. I, I think this is why Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper, uh, "Take this bread, take this wine, and remember me." Like don't forget about me. Most people don't really just walk away from God; they forget Jesus. That's mostly what happens, and so so, what would I want to say to this church this morning about holding on to promise? I would say, I would say, hold on to God. Hold on to anything you can do to make space for encounter. Uh, hold the promise lightly. Hang on to God uh, tightly. Don't ever let go of reality, but at the same time, never let go of the words that God has given you, because God wants to do the things that don't seem possible. The very thing that seems impossible in your mind is the very thing that God wants to do in your life. And, and let, me, let me just say this to the church. Uh, there are things that God has spoken to us as a church that he has not yet done. Uh, we've seen like little glimpses of them, right? But there are things that God has spoken to this church that he has not yet done. I'll tell you one more story. Um, I'm experiencing a very strange thing in the last eight weeks. Uh, it's really wonderful, but it's very strange. Uh, in the last eight weeks, I have received four prophetic words from two people. Uh, these two people were my friends, but we're, we're, but we're not like the closest friends in the world, right? Like they're, they're friends, but they're not the closest friends that I have. Uh, one person lives on the east coast one person lives on the west coast they here's what's really strange they both have the same name this it's the weirdest thing god is speaking to me in the last 8 weeks from two men named robin who have no idea what's happening here or in my life right and early this week early this week i got a call from a guy named robin on the West Coast, and he told me the most stunning thing about our church. It's just the most stunning, and he has no idea. No idea. And part of what Robin told me was, don't get bogged down in reality. God wants to do something in your little congregation that is impossible. That is absolutely impossible. And part of what Robin told me was, God wants to give us a new space and a new place. And he wants to build something here that is for the region. And it has to do with artists and it has to do with musicians and it has to do with people who are on the edges and on the fringes. There's a lot more to it, but he had no idea what's happening here or, or, or the things that I've been beating my head against the wall for the last five years. What is this? There are things that God has spoken to us over the last two decades that have not yet happened. And God seems to be speaking to, this, to those things again. So what do we do? We hold the promise lightly. We hang on to God tightly. He is faithful. Uh, he is good. Uh, we just have to keep making a space to encounter him because in the space where we encounter God, we encounter his presence. The power is in his presence. The word is in his presence. And the promise is in his presence. And that's all we have to do. That's all we have. At the end, he has to do it. We can't make it happen. We can't make it happen. Amen? Amen. All right, if you're on the worship band, why don't you guys come on back up? And if you're in the black chairs, why don't you stand up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.